Welcome to the June 2018 episode of Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. I am your host, Gil Manser. And those of you who are really, really clever will have noticed that we are airing on Father's Day this month. Today's conversation is with two multi-talented Marin County novelists, Christy Nelson in her latest novel, Beautiful Illusion, Treasure Island 1939, and Jeb Harrison with his picaresque family saga, The Healing of Howard Brown. Born and raised in San Francisco as a teenager, Christy Nelson traveled across the city on foot, bus, streetcar, and cable car while taking in the sights and scents of the streets, studying the people, and inventing stories. She graduated from Dominican University with a degree in psychology and dance, and the beauty of Marin County and the majesty of Mount Tamalpais instantly captivated her. One part of her wanted to travel, another wanted to dance, and yet another part wanted to write. In the end, they each won out. She and her husband live in the circa 1880 Brewmaster's House of the former San Rafael Brewery, and we will ask her a little bit later about any ghosts. Mm. Okay. Born and raised in Kentfield, Jeb Stewart Harrison is a freelance writer, novelist, songwriter, musician, painter, currently living in Stinson Beach. After many years as an ad agency, copywriter, writer, producer, creative director, and director of marketing communications, Jeb received his MFA from Pacific Lutheran University at the tender age of 60 and launched his writing career. Jeb also records and plays electric bass guitar with the popular instrumental combo The Treblemakers and the Bay Area favorite Call Me Buana. His first novel, Hack, was released in 2012, and his dysfunctional family drama, The Healing of Howard Brown, debuted in 2016. So, Christy and Jeb, I want to welcome you to Word by Word. Thank you, Gil. Thanks, Gil. Christy, you're in Beautiful Illusion, you follow the classic historical novel setup because you have fictional characters interacting with real people from that era. And one example is your feisty girl reporter, Lily Nordby, attending a soiree, I will call it, where her hostess points out numerous San Francisco bigwigs involved with the pageant of the Pacific under construction on Treasure Island. So how did you decide who to include and who not? That was serendipity, I think. Uh Uh, um, There were some prominent people who jumped right out at me. Mayor Rossi was one. Mm -hmm. Um, He's in many of the photos that were taken in the opening ceremony. Yes, he is indeed. Right in front. Yes. And uh, as well, um, Timothy Pfluger, preeminent architect architect during the period. And uh, so... As I was researching, I would find very colorful to me, colorful character, real people who I included. But, you know, I think the storyline dictated who was in and who wasn't in. And, for instance, there's uh, Lillian and Adolf Schumann mm-hmm. who began Lillian, the label Lillian Suits. And um, they fit in beautifully. I took liberties to uh, bring them into the story. And have her quite have a quite a big part. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. We probably should give a little background for those of our listeners who know what we are not talking about, which was the World's Fair, I guess we could call it, the Pacific International Exposition on Treasure Island on the bay to celebrate what Pe- they called all of the Pacific. Peace and brotherhood. Peace and brotherhood. That was the theme of the fair. Right. That's why the pavilions, there were so many pavilions whose uh, countries whose borders touched the Pacific, they were invited to come mm-hmm. and build pavilions. 
and that's when the Japanese pavilion caught my eye, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. because it was the largest and most lavish pavilion. Million dollars worth of space. Oh yes. 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 Yeah. The, in fact, you have one of your main characters, Tokaido, is it, or to- to- ki- Tokaido? Tokaido Okamura, who was a yes. diplomat from Japan. Yes. Well, he's fictional. Well, maybe. Partly based on real people. <laughs> Partly. Okay. So essentially what happened is that they, I don't know if people know this, Treasure Island was built out of, you know, dredged out of the base of the bay. So it's oyster shells and mud. And silt. And, and silt and, and yeah. dinosaur bones. Exactly. And, and, and leftover ships and things like that. Everything. Yeah. Everything. That was, it was remarkable. The fact that, well, the location was searched for for, for quite a long time, mm-hmm. finally decided it could be there in the bay, and would the prov- was sold to the voters on the I, on the proviso that it would then become San Francisco's international airport. Right, and they were looking for specifically one on the water because at that time they were planning on going to the Orient on, you know, the seaplanes. Yes, well they yes well the Clipper. Right. The wonderful Clipper. The Pan American Clipper. Yes, quite, oh, quite, quite a stunning. Beautiful plane. Beautiful plane, and. Uh, Yes, and I did quite a bit of research on that. Couldn't couldn't quite fit it into the story as much as I wanted to, but that's no matter. You could have had it them escape there. at the end, you know. <laughs> on the Just catch it as it's taking off across the water. <laughs> I'm like, that's for that's, you. That's, that's, that's your next story. Time. That's my story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so Jeb, your novel, uh, I guess I will call it a universal kind of opening. You know, the the older man standing beside his dying father's bed. And I assume that we can make the assumption that the catalyst for the book may be semi-autobiographical. That is correct. So how do you put it, how do you choose what to put in and what to make sure you don't put in hmm. about your own you know, experiences uh, yeah, and I other people yeah. you know? Well, by the time the book came out, I didn't have to worry about my mom or dad. Right. Uh, and I knew my sister was going to have a bad reaction as much as I <laughs> you tried to. You haven't made her a very uh, likable character. Well, we yeah. You know, I be, the idea was to take a, a personality trait and exaggerate into a, a, cl- a clinical problem, mm-hmm. right? And um, That's a good thought. I like that. <laughs> no, that, I mean, you can build upon what's there, but don't. Have, it may not be her main trait now. Right? No, not even close. Right. Yeah. Um, so the the Cece the character um, grew out of more of the events that surrounded my father's death mm-hmm. um, than my sister's being or personality right. as much. Right. Um, though that behavior at the time um, was so it was it was so I'm not sure how to pronounce it aberrant that um, as soon as I, I kind of digested the fact that this had all happened and my, my sister had disappeared and my father had died almost directly as a result of not being able to find her. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, you know, like um, the, the Ramona Clef that you're going to talk about. Right. Um, it, it's really just the, the germ or the seed um, and you start watering it with your imagination, and mm-hmm. it grows into something completely different. I mean, once you get to down south, mm-hmm. um, that's all fiction. Okay, give our, our listeners a little bit of the storyline. 
setup, where are you, what happens, et cetera. Yeah, so you, uh, name Howard, of the book again. Howard Brown is um, the healing of Howard the Brown. healing of Howard Brown right. uh, is all about this heinous experience that Howard and his wife have um, around the time of of Howard's father's death, whose his name is also Howard, and then like my own family, we're seven John Stuart Harrisons in a row. Uh, Howard Brown's son is also Howard, but they call him Trip because he's the third. Um, of course, triple. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the family goes through this upheaval with uh, the, the sister not showing up for the father's death, and the father, you know, going through this. I mean, he's already really sick, and his wife is already gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the scene where Howard puts the golf clubs in his father's hands really did happen, and that's kind of uh, cosmic, I guess you could say. But so after that, his father has instructed him to go find his sister. Mm-hmm. And after he dies, she shows up just before that, but then she disappears again. And he realizes that she's got a serious mental problem. Um, there's an accident in a, in a Mercedes Sprinter in the driveway in the middle of this terrible storm and the sprinter get ends up getting uprooted by a falling redwood tree that launches it into the neighbor's pool and in that sequence of events she hits her head and the next day has a um, out of body she she switches personalities Mm. totally you know uh, kind of out of the blue although she's displayed some pretty off-the-wall behavior up to that point and then the rest of the novel is about Howard looking for his sister and going down to Louisiana Mm -hmm. um, and the family, the ancestral homeland. The manse, the the mansion. Yes, the the Brown family um, and the various families around that area, which is uh, my heritage um, on my father's side of the family. And and having this (laughs) southern nightmare where he's having visions and he's having... Uh, pixelated, he calls it pixie dust attacks. Um, he gets hooked up with his cousins. His cousins take him fishing. Kind of, like, I got the idea for that from a Walker Percy novel, The Moviegoer, mm-hmm. where that whole fishing scene when when he has a, uh, I think, um, a, a intellectually disabled cousin or something like that. So that plays into. Um, the whole scene. So there's an intellectually disabled kid mm-hmm. that Howard kinds of tries to takes pity on, I guess you could say, and tries to ultimately work him into the family. So it's really about him finding his sister and getting and and having the realization that she can't help what she's doing because mm-hmm. she's mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Um, but it raises another question, which we'll come back to in just okay. a minute. Okay. okay. So. Similarly to you, yes. uh, tell us a brief synopsis of your setup and mention your characters who were important. You know, we'll start with Lily Nordby. Lily Nordby, um, a rough from the rough and tumble mission, um, desperate to rise out of her circumstances. Very young, twenty-three. Yes. Yes. And uh, um, th- she wants to become a newspaper reporter, and. Um, to choose an occupation for a heroine seemed to me like it was it was correct for the times, 
And it also gave her, of course, entree to the mm-hmm. expo because th- she was then put in. Ch- then she was the re- one of the chief reporters. So there's Lily. And as I said before, I wondered uh, quite a bit about the Japanese pavilion. If, in fact, in 1939, there were one million Japanese soldiers in armed conflict in China, mm-hmm. as well as capturing Pacific Islands, why would they go to the trouble and expense of coming to San Francisco in the name of peace and brotherhood? just didn't fit. Well, you have a tremendous amount of Japanese people residing here and in Hawaii. I'm talking about imperial, the imperial Japanese. And I do make a distinction. The American Japanese were loyal and patriotic to a fault. Right. I'm talking, when I talk about the Japanese. And and, uh, although the Japanese community did respond. So there I have my... uh, We have to mention his name, Tokaido. Oh, Tokaido Okamura. Right. And he's Fictional. more than he is. People he, he's assume. more than he seems. Yeah. And Lily, from the onset, doesn't believe him. So I had the except when you introduce him. There's no doubt in the reader's mind. I think it's the. Da, 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 da. It's obvious. It's that, obvious. Uh, yeah. It's obvious that you've looked at this. <laughs> right. Anyway, he's coming in on the ship. He is coming in on the tug tomorrow. And the ship's captain is yes. pointing out the gun emplacements. Yes. And the other military uh, attributes of the Golden Gate and how vulnerable it would be in certain spots. They're at the gate, yes. Right. Yeah, so, so we kind of know right the then. The reader then knows yeah. uh, without being told explicitly. Oh, we're giving away a plot point here. Uh, but yeah, well, but but it's the right reader at knows, the front, right at the, the front. Yes, the reader knows, but, but Lily doesn't know. No. She just has a hunch. Much as I did. Right. And therein is your conflict. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, we have a third person who's very important here. His name is Woodrow Packard. He, yes, Woodrow, my Mayan art expert. Well, who's not just that, but it's also short statue. He is a little man. Um, and I actually saw this man many, many years ago in a theater in L.A. Mm-hmm. And there were quite a few. He was seated. There were quite a few people around him. And I looked at him. He was so handsome and so distinguished and beautifully dressed. Mm-hmm. And then at least what I could see. And then when he stood up, it, I could see he was a dwarf. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I was looking for um, an, obs- an observer, some, someone on the outside who could be on the inside of the action. And that became Woodrow. And his entree into this is he is an expert in Mayan architecture and, and archaeology. Uh, architecture, when, which in fact is part was part of the uh, the, themat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thematic architectural buildings. Right. A mixture of the strangest things. They are very uh, <clears throat> cosmopolitan to be polite. It, it, yes. Right. Yes. So I had my then I had Woodrow. Um, so he and he had, uh, as I said, powers of observation that were quite Well, people fitting. didn't notice he was there. No, and isn't that what happens yeah. with somebody who's different? So, back to you, Jeb. We are at, I've got a question for you here. What movie do you think yours is like? If I had, is it Zach Braff returning home to his mm-hmm. mother's funeral in Garden State or Bill, Bill Murray, say, searching for the ex-girlfriend who 
was the mother of his son in Broken Flowers. You know those two movies? I do not. Oh, you should go try them out. Do you have another film in mind when you were writing? You mentioned uh, so you mentioned one when you were, were talking earlier. Um, well, I was. I think I was referring to the Walker Percy novel, oh, a novel. called right. The Movie Goer. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Um, I, you know, I can't think of a, any uh, f- film that TV show, was running anything? through my mind yeah. or a TV show. You're um, not Arrested Development. No, never seen that. Oh, uh, see, these are all these things you got to pick up. Yeah, <laughs> I think I was. Thinking, see, Christy knows because she studied psychology. She she, yeah. she makes sure to see. I, I was so this Howard Brown was the output from my MFA program. Ah. so it was my creative thesis. Uh huh. Okay, so I was working with all these really great professors and teachers, oh, yeah. um, which I've really miss now <laughs> trying to write but <laughs> where are they huh? yeah <laughs> how much do i have to pay you oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> to get you to read this oh, chapter that. Uh, um and my critical thesis was on saul bellow and oh, saul yeah. bellow was a master of the romana clef mm-hmm. um with the exception of henderson the rain king pretty much is all his novels are based on personal experiences. Uh, Herzog, he really was cuckolded by um, his wife with his best friend, um, who happened to be a radio announcer. I think is Valentine, yeah, I can't. Um, And Herzog, uh, a lot of those events and him trying to get his daughter back and all that stuff kind of really happened. Um, Humboldt's Gift was Mm -hmm. based on a poet that he knew, whose name... Humboldt von Fleischer in the book, and and his name escapes me now, but that relationship was a real relationship, and, and Bellow really did see this guy, this poet friend of his, go from, you know, the, the vaulted heights of poetry and teaching at Princeton to, you know, uh, trash can um, mm. surfing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. It does. It, uh, Went into a different mode, but that's yeah. perfectly fine. Yeah. So, your your other novel, Hack, which was not in the MFA program, right, is a decidedly different flavor when when I read them. And um, is that did you want them to be that way? I assume I was trying to get more serious with Howard Brown. Um, because I was in this MFA program, right? Um, so well, you're yeah, writing hack it is much for a more different for the audience of your professors to I, a degree, gotcha. absolutely. And also, this was a story I had to get off my chest. Mm. I mean, it's my healing as much as it is Howard's, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was an exercise in um, exorcism, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Well, Christy, you mentioned in, in your blog that that's similar to your first novels. Is that you had to get some things out? Oh, there. I did. I did. Yeah. Uh, Marin County in the seventies. Marin 70s. County in the seventies. Oh, perfect. I mean, yeah. there was a lot to get off my chest on yeah. that. <laughs> right. It wasn't all hot Dreamers, dogs. Dreamers, innocence, and, and, and Oh yeah, my exactly. goodness! Yes. I, too bad I can't write satire. But um, but I was going to comment on what you had said about about your current novel, that it was an exorcism of kind. Of, yeah. of a kind. Yeah. So in, in Beautiful Illusion, mm-hmm. there is the story of the fair, right. of the expo. Right. Everyone called it the fair. There is the historical context of what was going on in the world, that the, sh- the shadow of war was looming ever closer. Hitler was rising. 
ever oh, closer. Really started beginning construction in '36, as I remember. So, just as Germany was sending out, and and uh, Italy had become fa- fascist. So it's a strange yeah, there, time. There was Hirohito, Hir- 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 a Mussolini, and Hitler. Right. And they were they were really the axis of evil. They were planning on taking over the world. So I, it was such, it was so rife to have this Japanese uh, diplomat, quote unquote, mm-hmm. come into the story. Um, but so, so, but then there's the story behind the story, and within these pages, I was really looking for my um, grandparents, whom I did not know, because my father was estranged from them. Mm. So I thought, well, I, I had bits and pieces of information, but not much. My parents are both gone, like yours. Uh, one cousin who would give me little things, but um, willingly, but she was, mm, I don't know that, it, that she wasn't interested, but at any rate, I thought, well, if I can know San Francisco in the 30s, maybe I can get closer to my grandparents and to my my and you're third generation san francisco i am yeah and it it was so interesting in the meantime i had my my um i I went to Mm ancestry.com and had my dna dna checked out my genetic community (laughs) so it was confirmed i mean i knew i was norwegian was confirmed that I'm 51% Norwegian. And in the very end, I'm 2% Asian, which I just loved because <laughs> I had been living with Takedo. Uh, <laughs> and and, and uh, I don't, and the other thing, I'd traveled to Japan. And growing up in San Francisco, I loved Chinatown and Japantown. They made an indelible mark. Well, how much did you know about your grandparents? Um, were there were there any? I uh, knew where they lived. I mean, there were pictures. A few pictures. Uh-huh. Two. In you fact. know what they did, uh-huh. or he did? I did, but I would rather not say. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So, but buried in these these pages. Well, you've got a secret. Your 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 protagonist in this has a secret. She doesn't want anybody to know about her past. Yes. So yes. there's this Mahasi. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. So, and that really ties into what Howard goes through when he goes south, in discovering. The ghosts of his ancestors, yes, which were Civil War uh-huh. um, soldiers uh-huh. and uh, various other wackos. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's so interesting that you and I are here today with Gil, yeah. and we're we're finding this out. I don't know that I would have found that out. I I, I had the pleasure of hearing you read the other day, mm-hmm. and I just loved your your opener. Thank you. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, the voice is very strong. Would very you good. like to read for us? Well, I guess I've just been asked just to read that <laughs> did, did you notice that segue? I had her setup. prompted and set up there. <laughs> and then sure, I, you're going to get a chance to. The the day. I was planning on reading uh, something from the, the, the interior of the novel, but um, I'm perfectly happy to read uh, from the beginning. Okay. This is from The Healing of Howard Brown, Chapter 1, Trying to Die. I could tell he was trying to die really trying, as if by the sheer force of his iron will, he could command his heart to stop, like he had so often commanded me, my sister, my mother, and a great many others to stop, to halt, to shut up, to do this or that. 
He was in that familiar state of stern, steely concentration, laid out on the rented hospital bed at the foot of great-grandmother's regal plantation four-poster. His knuckly fingers rolled into fists, his jaw clenched, his brow furrowed, and the afternoon sun illuminating his gnarled and knobby toes. What, I wondered, was responsible for their profound disfigurement? Was it the miles of fairways, tees, and greens he had trudged across in his 85 years? Or was it the endless hours pacing to and fro in San Francisco courtrooms trying to command the thoughts of judge and jury? Whatever it was, I decided then and there it should be avoided. I bent over my own massive midriff and studied my own toes in the crusty white shag. Aside from the yellowing curled nails, they didn't look unusually bent or knobby, at least not yet. But I feared, like many of the failing factory parts of my 6'6", 240-pound frame, they would eventually join in the cacophony of inflamed and screaming joints that had accompanied me into my 60th year. Mm. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, gee whiz. Strong. Talk about opening yourself out to the world, right? That's it. Yes. Right, what you know, right? <laughs> well, I think, I, you know, it's interesting. Do you think you could have written that novel 10 years earlier? Uh, no. Yeah. I, I, don't th I, I couldn't have written it without the experience that I, I actually had. Right. And when I well, went I'm, to... Okay, let's assume you'd had the experience. Okay. But I, you, as a... Yeah. As a biological organism. Yes. That's the question. Uh, yeah, probably so. I was worse off when I was 50 than I was oh. 60. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had to have my back surgery and all Ooh. other stuff. But, um, well, I was going to say, uh, the, um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. It's okay. We'll get it back. I, and I was going to mention that vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis your question, I've asked myself about writing this novel did I find the subject or did the subject find me? Mm -hmm. And am I in a period in my life when I could really be open to that? Yeah. I remember now when I was in my MFA program, I wanted to work on a novel that I had in progress. Mm -hmm. And my first mentor, uh, David Huddle, a prolific writer um, and, and, uh, and fantastic, um, said, nope, you're going to start something new. And I had been thinking about this experience and Howard Brown and mm -hmm. um, when I was, you know, out walking the dog and stuff like that. I really hadn't written anything down. Um, so that, you know, there it I kind of had something on the shelf that I was yeah, ready to grab. Right, was. right. Yeah. So nice. why did Treasure Island grab you then? Uh, why because San Francisco, you could, any know, decade, you I could know. find a dozen stories. Well, my husband and I, uh, we had lived in San Anselmo for 20 years, mm -hmm. and uh, we sold our ha home. We thought we'd find that little bungalow on the street, you know, something simple. <laughs> Never could find it. So we went to the city and lived down at the Embarcadero, and I looked right through uh, to the out to the bay. Is that when the Embarcadero Freeway was still there? No. 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 Uh, straight shot was all gone. It was gone. Yeah. What an eyesore. So uh, there, there I was. I was looking out to the water, and I could see those ferries, the old ferries out right. there. And then I started digging around, and I, I thought, Treasure Island, what, what happened there? At the same time, uh, I had seen a, a short bit of the history detectives, 
Mm, and they mm-hmm. had found a Japanese, or their their task was finding out where did this Japanese house in Gilroy come from? Mm. And it was traced back to Treasure Island. Really? Yeah. So, and uh, from there as well, I found other research that said that uh, mentioned why the, the why the Japanese had come to the come to the island, uh-huh. which was propaganda. I have a question. Did Dr. Rowe's work inspire you at all, E.L. Dr. Rowe? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, great historical novels. It, mm-hmm. it, exactly. Yeah. In fact, I wanted to say I, I've read all of Saul Bellow, which is uh-huh. kind of off topic, but yeah, yeah. back in the day. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Anyway. <laughs> Henderson <laughs> ranking is my favorite. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Yes. What, I, what was your question? Again? No, it was back to the question of why Treasure Island? What? Why Treasure Island? Yeah, oh, my why God. Why that particular <clears throat> historic little two-year... Well, it fit in, didn't it, then, with my question of who, who right. are my grandparents? Right. Mm-hmm. It also fit in with the history detective trying to figure out the where... The history detectives right, right. and all these little clues that come in at you or prompts that come in at you. What, one of the other interesting things, it's not in your book, but um, at the same time, there were tours you could take around the bay of modern houses. Now, by mm. then, modern was, you know, curved steel banisters and rounded forms. and It had nothing to do with the Mayan influences. No, no. And one of them happened to be built next to the lot that my parents bought and wow. built their house in 1939. And there would be buses coming by would take people in to see this, you know, marvelous house. That What was the house? It was on Hazel Avenue in uh, Millbrae. Huh. And uh-huh. across the street, the the head of the General Electric, Vice President of General Electric, there built his house, mm-hmm. and he made sure that the carpet that was installed was the same carpet that was used in the General Electric Pavilion. It would last for 100 years <laughs> or a 1,000 million people walking uh-huh. on it. So, uh-huh. so anyway, you know, it's just as just as the influences went so far beyond, yes. you know, just that little slice of time that, that it existed. Yes, yes. Yeah. And how, uh, for the GGIE, the expo, how ironic that the theme was peace and brotherhood. Right. And, um, yes, it was this, the perhaps one way of looking at the GGIE was that it was, it, it, it was a, a moment of glory mm-hmm. before, as I said, talked about that shadow yeah. coming over. So. And, the, and the terrible thing, of course, is that so little was left, you know. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. So little. There are sculptures. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lamps. Yeah. And one of the museums in the same time, I remember which one, you know, has the, the lighting fixtures and you reuse Is it the repurposed. Bancroft? Is it over at the Bancroft? Could or, be. Uh-huh. And then, of course, the Bells and the Carillon. The Bells and the Carillon are at UC. No, they are. St. Mary's. St. Mary's. You know, this is a funny little thing. The reason, they are 44 bronze or brass bells yes. in this carillon which in you know which is this tall tower of the tower sun, of the sun. Mm-hmm. and um, the reason they were there is because saint mary's cathedral grace cathedral grace cathedral let me check is it grace or saint grace the cathedral on knob hill okay not saint had mary's. not been completed okay. so they couldn't be installed yet so the man who donated Nath- nathaniel t colson who was a dentist from britain said, oh, you can use them, you know, until the other place gets built, and that's why they ended up there. So, 
apparently they were deafening. <laughs> apparently so. When yeah. you, it, uh -huh. in fact, it caused deafness in the in, in the, the bell ringers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. From its original installation, and yes. they took care of that. Wow. When they put it in Grace Cathedral. So there's one thing that there's you know a remnant of from the from the time. But you you know you're talking about the architecture was trying to be. I don't know what will we call. They called it, it Pacific Basin. Pacific based, yes. Basin, basin. Yeah. Whatever that was, a Cambodian Mayan. Right. Um, and there were huge murals. Incan. Done, you know, that oh, showed those all gorgeous, the gorgeous murals. Murals. By, by a, a Latin American painter. Uh, oh, uh, Diego. Um, um, not, not, not Rivera. No. Not Rivera. No. Oh, Sotomayor. Sotomayor. Anyway, and yes. that, that we're showing, you know. All the transportation modes and the housing modes and the food modes and the, you know, natural this mode. It was just astounding to, you know, it, it was a beautiful fair. It sounds amazing. It, it was. And there are probably books that have photographs, right? Oh, there are. Well, yeah. there are, she's got one with her, which is oh. fun, which is the <laughs> official guidebook, oh, which cost a whole 25 cents uh, in 1939. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, But most of those are, are, are black and whites that have here's been the, colorized. Yeah. Here's, here's, the, uh, here's the map. Right. The Listeners cannot see the map. No, but it's. Uh, yeah, but we have to look at the planes that are flying around cover. it, and yeah. that's the original map. Yes. Yeah. Love the colors. That gorgeous. It's done yeah. like a blueprint. Yeah. Here's the clipper. Yeah. Cool. And it was the the uh, the clipper was in Clipper Cove, which is right here. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. That's yeah. the Pan American. <laughs> yeah, Pan Am yeah. ship. And the whales have even returned. <laughs> well, yes, and they were gone for a while, and they came yeah. back just for just for that painting. <laughs> we need to do a break here. You are listening to Word by Word Conversations with writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM, where today's conversation is with the multi-talented Marin County novelist Christy Nelson and her historical novel, Beautiful Illusion, Treasure Island, 1939, and Jeb Harrison with his picaresque family saga of dysfunction. The Healing of Howard Brown. Okay, we said earlier that, that Christy was going to get a chance to read something to us. So do you have something you'd like to share? I do. And I'm uh, like Jeb. I'm going to start at the start beginning. Start at the beginning. <laughs> because I just want to give you all a, a taste of the fair, um, <clears throat> or at least uh, the way the people of San Francisco felt about the fair and everything that was going on. So beautiful illusion. Chapter 1, Lily. After the heaviest rainstorm in over a decade drenched San Francisco, Lily Nordby, 23 and hardly green, jumped puddles and hopped on a crowded cable car rattling down Powell Street. At the turnaround on Market, she leapt off. A paper boy waved the February 11, 1936 examiner in her face. Leland Cutler, the president of the Golden Gate International Exposition, had rowed out to the shoals with two cronies and sunk a flag into the soupy muck that proclaimed sight of the 39 World's Fair. Every day, stories about the city claiming its right as the gateway to the Pacific made headlines. Citizens quaked in a fever of excitement. For months, Lily had gathered on the Embarcadero with other onlookers and peered through the salty spray of waves, slapping the shore to dredges huffing and puffing like beasts of burden as they clawed silt and mud into buckets and burped it onto the 400 acres that were fast becoming Treasure Island right in front of their wondering eyes. Lily could wait no more. 
a hurly-burly, never-die optimism had swept through town, lifting up every man and woman by their lapels. Two engineering marvels had occurred. The San Francisco Bay Bridge, linking downtown to the East Bay, had risen from caissons sunk into bay mud, 48 stories high, like upside-down skyscrapers, and the Golden Gate Bridge, the longest single-span bridge that could never be built, was swinging above the treacherous tides like a giant's erector set aimed north toward the tip of Marin County. Lily marched down the sidewalk of the wide boulevard alongside men in suits and fedoras and women in coats and cloche hats stuck with pheasant feathers who had all answered FDR's clarion call to rise out of the depression. San Francisco had been born as a brawny port city with a backbone chiseled out of the gold rush and hands gripped tightly around logging, shipping, and manufacturing. And now the wheels of progress were firing in industry and business. As if to echo the high times, buses, streetcars, and automobiles rolled by in a cacophony of ringing steel and squealing rubber. Mm -hmm. That's that that Love sounds it. like the, the city you traveled around as a teenager. You know, there's much to be said about that. Um, riding the Muni <laughs> in San Francisco. <laughs> I'll tell you, get an education. I, there's one, Do I have time for, to tell one little story? Sure, um, of course. Uh, so at, uh, I gave a talk at the Treasure Island Museum Association, and afterwards, there, there was much discussion amongst the people who had come. Mm -hmm. And there was a gentleman there who was in his 80s, and he said, I want to tell you how I saw the fair. He said, I was five years old. Mm -hmm. My brother and my sister and I were each given 35 cents by our mom. We lived on Potrero Hill. We could ride the Muni down to the ferry building for a nickel. Then we could get on the ferry and get over to the fair and get inside the fair. And we'd be there all day. Mm. And uh, there were a lot of food samples that were being given out. But he said, we did buy something called junket. It came in a Rennet little- pudding. Yeah. Yep. But he, he, he called- That's the growing he, up dessert. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think he meant jello because he said, I don't know if they called it Jello then, but he said because we would just open the packet and suck on these little crystals and our mouths yeah, would become... Yeah, junket or Jello would oh, work. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah. would become purple. Right. And he said, oh, I remember the fair. <laughs> he was just, you know, transported. And then they would have enough money to get back to the ferry building, but then they didn't have enough, so so they were, they, you know, folks helped them out. They had to walk. <laughs> they so they used more than 35 cents they for did the, they did darn. can you imagine I san mean, francisco on 35 cents a day <laughs> as a five-year-old yeah yeah well oh, wow. the the fact that they let a five-year-old go and do that and felt that it he'd says, be safe a lot about it right. the times mm -hmm. right. yeah mm -hmm. it's fascinating different time different time um one of, one of the interesting things i remember on the history of the fair was the competition between Los Angeles and San Francisco that occurred in, <coughs> in the early part of the 30s. And then finally somebody says, well, we have these two beautiful bridges. We have to use them, and we have to show them off to the world because here is, you know. And these were all basically, you know, government projects to put people to work in the middle of the Depression. The right? WPA, yeah. 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 
Now, they were skilled workers. They were. Yeah, yes. They were. And the same thing for the fair. But they were inexpensive skilled workers. Yes. Um, and the, the fair did bring millions of dollars into the city and just lifted people up. Right. And, uh, yeah, the, the building of the bridges was amazing, and the building of the fair was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they couldn't have had Treasure Island if they didn't have the Bay Bridge to get there. That's right. That's yeah. right. And that was completed in '38. So yeah. For people who haven't done it, have it. I don't know. Have you have you been to Treasure Island? Oh yeah. There's something about crossing that Bay Bridge, and the the turnoff is a little treacherous. It is oh, weird. Yeah, yes. Totally. Yeah. And you swoop, yes, I haven't been off recently, but you know, with the well, new they, span. Yeah, well, they changed the exit. The exit used to be on the on left, the, uh, but now it's on the right. So if you don't know that, you're gonna <laughs> practically lose your life getting. Mm-hmm. And then you go down and you swoop down onto the Avenue of Palms, mm-hmm. right there. And it, it, I, in my mind's eye, I can really see it. I can see it. Um, yeah. Miraculous. Yeah. You can see the the fair in, in my mind. There is a, there is cool. an overlook, yeah. or used to be, where they had a uh, plastic, you know, painted on plastic map of the fair of how it would look really? from that site. Yeah. My goodness. All right. I don't know. If, I don't think it's there anymore because no. they changed all the no. entries. But I mean, you know, it was it was cool. It was Disneyland of its time. Yeah. Well, and Disney was there apparently. Oh. In '37, mm-hmm. took a look around and. Uh, especially at the Tower of the Sun. And, and at that particular point, he was um, envisioning Disneyland. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. It opened in 55. 55, yeah. yeah. So 15 years later, there right. it was. But he had to convince A.P. Giannini to fund it. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well. but, but even, like I said before, those, there are three stories in one there. Finishing it f- has felt like, uh, well, two things. One that... Uh, you were talking about kind of a cathartic. For me, um, it's still misty, but at least I have a better, I, I know what the city was like then as much as one can. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, the and the other funny feeling I had is uh, I had some people come up to me to talk to me how much they liked the story and, the, as, and they started talking about the characters and I suddenly realized that the characters were running away from home. They were out in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they were, yeah. No, yeah, I had no. a little pang, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Especially uh, Woodrow's my favorite. I wondered about that because I was going to yeah. ask you your favorite character. He's Everybody my assumes favorite. it's going to be Lily, I assume. but No, it no. was Woodrow who stole the show. Yeah. Uh, every time he came came into a scene, he would not shut up. I mean, he would. I really had to. So he began to write himself. He did. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Uh, now, one of the places, yeah, one yeah. of the places Lily ends up living is the Pink Palace. Is that what you called it? Her boarding house? Oh, the, the French, French. Yeah. was the French house. French house. On Scott Street. Ah, I, don't, I knew nothing about that before I read this. That is real. And I can tell you that that's where my mom lived. Oh. And I... Uh, <laughs> Before my mom passed away, we went drove around to many of the spots in the city, and she had never showed me that before. It's right at Scott, going up the hill, mm-hmm. before you get to Broadway. Still there. Still there, and it was still up op- when when we went. It still op- was operating as a as a boarding house, 
And uh, so we went in. The, the owner was there. We knocked on the door, and he let us in. Mm. She said, this is the beautiful spiral staircase. She said, this is where, where, my da- where your dad proposed to me. Oh, So sweet, yes. so sweet. But um, I was going to say something. Oh, so my mom came to San Francisco in 34 when Harry Bridges shut down the town. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you know, I'm kind of That's looking. That's the longshoreman. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. The labor boss. I'm right. kind of looking through this lens, long lens, uh, toward my hist- my family's past. So when you're writing the section where she's going to this boarding house, we'll call it, or yeah. French house, uh, which has beautiful and wonderful food, by the way, French food. Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. So that meant you must have just been back there with your mom. I was. I was. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Same way, Jeb. Did you go to the, when you were writing, um, Harold Brown, did you, Howard Brown, did you go to the locations that you write about? Uh, I, yeah. I, so part of the MFA program was called um, uh, out, Outside Experience or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I spent two weeks at the family plantation in uh, Laurel Hill, Louisiana. And is it literally and a I plantation? Was, I was writing down there. Wow. Uh, not anymore. No, it's just a vacation home for okay. my relatives in New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I love going down there. There's a family graveyard that has my grandmother and my mm-hmm. grandfather, who I never knew. Um, and going all the way back to Sidney Howard Lemon, who mm-hmm. built the plantation in 1834. Mm-hmm. So it's on the National Historic Register. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not what you'd think. It's, I mean, if you've ever toured the plantations down there, the Myrtles or Rosedown or Wakefield or... Uh, you know, there's a half dozen of very famous ones right there between St. Francisville and Natchez. Mm-hmm. Um, Hazelwood is is not on any tours. It's a funky old farmhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they've it, when I first went there, I was 17, and I came down from uh, Boulder where I was going to school, and the mattresses were still stuffed with hay. Oh my You're goodness. kidding? No. And all you're this, not that old. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, they, that's just they. Nobody was going there. Ah. Everything was covered with, you know, sheets and dust, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was it had fallen into extreme disrepair. But thank God, my cousins came along and saved the day. Ah. They built a pond where there was a nice. creek. Uh, it's it, it's actually a, a big enough to take a motorboat on. So it's mm-hmm. a little lake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We would call it a lake around right. here. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So you're both looking at the ghosts. Yeah. We are looking at ghosts, aren't we? Yeah. 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 Which brings me into the natural question about the brewmaster's house and the ghosts. Yes. I, well, first of all, the house is uh, 1880. 1880. Right. It is the brewmaster's house. His name is uh, Fritz Gerl, German, G-O-E-R-L. And he built the San Rafael Brewery. Um, And... uh, (laughs) Uh, so he was, the brewery thrived until Prohibition mm-hmm. and then went into disrepair and changed hands and so on and so forth. I've got lots of stories about that background that I won't necessarily go into. But That's the next book. Uh, I don't know. Well, you uh, know, one of the interesting things about the Germans in San Rafael is that the German clubs in, in the city would travel by a ferry up to 
were in county and hike Mount Tamalpais, and they established most of the trails that are there today. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is like in the, you know, nineteen tens and twenties. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. exactly. So they True. would have been drinking his beer, I bet. An anchor, an anchor steam beer, yeah. So the house it sits on an acre of land. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's very unusual. All the brewery buildings to the west, all the brewery buildings are gone. Uh-huh. But we do have some historical photos, so we can see it what it was. But um, my husband, who was born in Washington State on an orchard, found this. It had been red-tagged by the building department, but the orchard was just caught his fancy as well as the house. And uh, he took me over to show it to me. I said, I will never live in that thing. (laughs) Because it was— Because it was like your mansion only at the time of the— All it, the dust in that. Right. Yes. It was yeah. so scary. Bad state of disrepair, yeah. So scary. And ghosts, too. Yeah. You know. So, has any of them stayed around? You don't have to tell me. I mean, that's maybe a private How about thing. I leave it as a secret. All right. Okay. It's all right. I just had <laughs> the feeling, that. you know. Some people want to talk about them. Okay. So. You learn all kinds of things about we each do. other here we today. We do. Yes. Very I'm cool. sitting here. L- looking at you and hearing what you have to say and I never would have known this so I'm really happy about that what it what are you going to do next I know you're thinking of relocating Jeb and um, I assume you're taking your computer and writing space with you but you don't won't have the view in the new place well I don't have a view from my office oh anyway. you you can't see the, the I, water I, can't, I can see it from my living room but not oh. from my office okay yeah can you hear it oh yeah yeah Ba-bum. Yeah, and then on the weekends, it's like a mad, wild party, especially in the summertime. Um, mm-hmm. So what's but, your what's your writing? How do you get set to write for a novel? Not Well, I've got a, uh, let's see, I've got probably four in progress. Mm-hmm. Oh. So depending on how, uh, which place I want to go. So one of them is actually set on the plantation in 1945, mm-hmm. and it's a story of a returning a, home kind of thing. Well, no, it's um, it's about a uh, it's kind of a whimsical look at a kid that takes on Byron Nelson. So in 1945, Byron Nelson, a professional golfer, won 11 tournaments in a row, uh, which is still the record. Um, so the concept is that. Did he really win all those tournaments? And so this postulates that, no, he didn't win the 11th tournament, the Canadian Open in Toronto. Rather, this kid from Louisiana had been ordained by the gods of golf to go break the winning streak. Uh-huh. Um, and that that kind of goes alongside this really crazy racial tension story down there. Is this one uh, of these guys black? Um, there is a, a black character, yeah. 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 Several, several. In fact... Uh, same as in Howard Brown, the caretaker of the property is black, for, you know, descended from slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of similarity between the southern part of the Howard Brown story and this one's called Chasing Byron. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's in play. I've got a corporate satire in play. I've got... <laughs> you better wait till you're, you're well gone from where people know you are. You <laughs> I'm all, I am well gone. Oh, okay. <laughs> because they do know. <laughs> and, uh, and then I have a historical novel um, about uh, 
a Miwok tribe that gets cross-pollinated with a Russian fur trader. Oh, my and goodness. And they, they start a little circus uh-huh. um, and travel all through Northern California around the time oh. of Walking Marietta and John Sutter and, oh, and so Mark great. Twain and all that. So th- it's a doctoral-inspired thing where you got fictional characters like yours. Yes, yes. Uh, in a, um, interacting with real people. Yes, yes. Historical figures. I we highly recommend that. One of yeah. our uh, fun. Yeah. guests earlier was Greg Saris, who was here talking about his latest work and he was mentioning that his I can't remember great 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 grandmother left this area when the Spaniards came in and decided that the, the Indians could be basically their slaves you know mm-hmm. indentured servants kind of thing mm-hmm. work on the land and she escaped to the Russian camp up mm-hmm. in Fort Ross Fort Ross which yeah. is why Greg is partly you know uh, Inuit oh because they brought the Inuit, yeah. uh, you know, Eskimo mm-hmm. people down along with them to do the fur trading mm-hmm. yeah. capture. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very, yeah, it'd be a great place for a story, wonderful yeah. story. Yeah. And your projects are... My projects, what will they be? I am itching to dance. I, I love music. You know, and I love dancing. <laughs> you know, you, you, the, you, uh, not that I want to say, but you've got music right there. I and know, dancing I, right I here. know, and 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 writing. You're and not writing. that far apart from each other. Well, that's funny because another project I have is really I, I really feel the need to create a fictional story about a bunch of old guys in a band that go out on the road. And the adventures that they have. Oh boy! Well, you're living that oh, every day, aren't you? <laughs> well, we'll go on the road. Oh well. <laughs> we oh, you go over to Mill Valley in places. <laughs> That's right. So. so music, the music of the 30s and 40s. I'm nuts about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a dance called the Shim Sham. Oh. And um, I see. Saw... That's not the dance I had in my mind when you were talking about <laughs> probably mm, the Jitterbug. No, that was later. Lindy Hop. Lindy Hop. So I have an idea about right uh, spoken word dance, music, singing. I don't know what, where it's going to lead, what what will come out of that, wow. but that's my current You're going to keep us in, in touch with what you're doing. Then. Well, thank you. I certainly good, will. Good. My pleasure. So you're going to be a multimedia I don't uh, know. I think I'm going to talk artist. to... Artiste. I'm going to talk to Jeb about music to start with. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So that's what you two are up to. Um, now, what are you learning when you go and you do readings? Uh, you know, you just shared with us some things. Mm. You must have a feeling when you're standing at the podium. Is it a, just tell me what it is. I could give you all sorts of adjectives, but I want to hear from you. When I stand in front of the podium, I'm yes. so excited I almost lift off. So um, I, I'm I very. Um, and you, you, everybody in the audience knows that? Well, you yes. Heard, you heard her, Jeb. <laughs> Did you know that? Oh yeah, it was evident. Yeah, okay. I'm very excited. I'm yeah. an excitable person, but so when I and I'm so um, gratified that um, after this is my third novel, mm-hmm. I I did what I wanted to do mm-hmm. in this novel. I feel very complete. You did what you wanted to do. Who was telling you you couldn't do stuff? Well, you know, the finished product is. Uh, I don't like to go back and read. Read um, my old work. It Rewrites? Feels, You're uh, not a rewrite person. Oh, I am a rewrite oh. person. Uh, I, yeah, many iterations of my second Dreaming Mill Valley I wrote three times. Um, no, I mean, in the present, I, I don't necessarily want to... Did you ask me, did I go back? No, maybe you didn't ask me that. At any rate, um, 
when I'm at the podium, I'm I feel like the circle's complete. Mm-hmm. You're the storyteller. I'm the storyteller. They p- people want to hear the story, or they wouldn't be there. Or they wouldn't be there. And then, as you say, the ghosts or my families around me at the same time. How fun! Yeah, it's yeah. quite quite. Uh, I'm very gratified. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Thank you, Gil. Jeb, your thoughts at the podium, well, or behind <clears throat> the podium, or whatever you do. <clears throat> when I, when I moved out to Stinson, I got into audiobooks because I had to read a ton of stuff for school, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and. So I have um, become very, uh, I guess you'd say, um, interested, not, not just interested, but interested or, or uh, well, I guess interested is the right word, in how the voice actors perform. Ah. So one thing we learned in school was that when you do get up to the podium to share, it, it really is about sharing the, the gift and getting into that space where you say, okay, this is for you. And I'm going to do my level best to make it good. Mm-hmm. And, and it's um, so there's a performance aspect to it. A professionalism to it. Yeah, but entertainment too. Ah. And just reading something in monotone is hardly entertaining. So, um, and having the benefit of having listened to all these amazing readers and narrators and voice actors. That, that's what comes in my head. How can I take what uh, the experience mm. that I've had as a student and now um, put that into a professional package and, and entertain the audience? Well, Jeb and Christy, I want to thank you for being here today with us. And it's been fascinating. I had no idea where we were going to go, and I'm delighted that we went there. <laughs> Me too. You have been listening to Word by Word Conversation with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM, where... Today's conversation, and I mean real conversation, was with the multi-talented Marin County novelist Christy Nelson and her historical novel, Beautiful Illusion, Treasure Island, 1939, and Jeb Harrison with his picaresque family saga of dysfunctionality, The Healing of Howard Brown. Our studio engineer for today's show is Anthony Garcia. Our station manager is Sean Knight. Our radio coordinator, Wendy Nicholson. Theme music is by Bill Conti, and I am your host, Gil Manser. We invite you to visit us for our next word-by-word broadcast right here on North Bay Public Media, KRC-BFM, from 4 to 5 on Sunday, July 8th. Until then, travel back in time with an excerpt from Christy Nelson's historical novel, Beautiful Illusion. Imagine it is 1030 on the evening of February 18th, 1939, when a radio signal from faraway Bombay, India, flipped a switch at Treasure Island that turned on all the outdoor lights. The exposition glowed like a jeweled kingdom, casting beams into the night sky. Then the heart-stopping clanging of the 44-bell carillon peeled from atop the Tower of the Sun, playing the bells of Treasure Island. <laughs>